Good morning, 10 o'clock. How are you guys doing? Hey, my name is Savut, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm super excited to be here with you all this morning to teach you God's word. This is your first time. What we do is we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line, and we have been in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, and my wife and I, we really enjoy just sitting in and learning every weekend and growing in our relationship with God ourselves by diving into this book. And I hope that you all have enjoyed it yourselves too. Um, we have a lot to cover this morning. So last week, uh, Pastor Corey taught on chapters four and five, so two, two chapters. And then this morning, we're doing the same exact thing, going through chapters six and seven. So there's a lot to cover. And so we do need to uh, dive in. I want to be respectful of your time this morning. So last week, Pastor Corey taught on this idea of God, the one true God, versus the many gods that we can easily start to worship or be distracted by. Um, we learned about Dagon and how Dagon was destroyed by the one true God because the truth is God cannot occupy the same space with other gods. And in our lives, that may be the reason why you know, Pastor Corey asked that question, is Jesus trying to get our attention? Because many of us, uh, we, we say we worship God, but then throughout the week, we have a lot of different gods and idols that we give our attention to. And so maybe those idols and those gods are being broken down by Jesus because he's trying to get our attention because he loves us. So Jesus wants to set us on the path of eternal life. And the only way to spend eternity with Jesus is to have a relationship with him here on earth. So that's what we learned last week. Now, this morning we're gonna be in chapter six and seven. And in chapter six, we're going to, to see uh, God's power and how God is sovereign. He's in control. And we're gonna see a, a really cool story in there. And then in chapter seven, Samuel comes back into the picture and then he preaches on repentance. And the idea of this morning is true repentance leads to action. There's, there has to be some actions when, when we talk about repentance. One of the actions is turning away from the sins that have separated us from God. That's the first step. But the second step is to turn to God who is good and able to forgive us. So there's two things that needs to happen when we talk about repentance. When you walked in this morning, you should have received the notes handout. Everything that I will say will be on the TV screens. You can also download the Experience Community app under Sermon Notes, and uh, the notes are on the app. Let's go to God in prayer this morning before we dive into his word. Lord, grateful for who you are. You're such a good God. You're perfect, you're holy, you're worthy of all of our praise and adoration and worship. Thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for how you love us. Lord, we wanna take this moment to pray for all of the churches that are gathering, gathering right now this morning. If they proclaim that, that you are the king of kings, Lord, I pray that you will bless those communities. Help them flourish, help them grow. We wanna see the name of Jesus made known in Middle Tennessee. Lord, we're so grateful to open up your word this morning. That is such a gift to us. Let us not take that for granted. God, I pray that you would just remind us of how desperately dependent we are on you. I pray that this morning is all about you. We give you glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter six. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory for seven months, 
the Philistines summoned the priests and the diviners and they pleaded, what should we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we can send it back to its place. They replied, if you send the ark of Israel's God away, do not send it without an offering. Send back a guilt offering to him and you will be healed. Then the reason his hand hasn't been removed from you will be revealed. They asked, what guilt offering should we send back to him? And they answered, five gold tumors and five gold mice corresponding to the number of Philistine rulers, since there was one plague for both you and your rulers. Make images of your tumors and of your mice that are destroying the land. Give glory to Israel's God, and perhaps he will stop oppressing you, your gods, and your land. Why harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened theirs? When he afflicted them, didn't they send Israel away and Israel left? Now then, prepare one new cart and two milk cows and have, that have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the carts, but take their calves away and pin them up. Take the ark of the Lord, place it on the carts, and put the gold objects that you're sending him as a guilt offering in the box beside the ark. Send it off and let it go its way. Then watch. If it goes up to the road to, the, to his homeland toward Beth Shemesh, it is the Lord who has made this terrible trouble for us. However, if it doesn't, we will know that it was not his hand that punished us. It was just something that happened to us by chance. The men did this. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, and they continued. Uh, they confined their calves in the pen. Then they put the ark of the Lord on the cart, along with the box containing the gold mice and the images of their tumors. The cows went straight up the road to Beth Shemesh. They stayed on that one highway, lowing as they went. They never strayed to the right or to the left. The Philistine rulers were walking behind them to the territory of Beth Shemesh. And so the Philistines here, they, they were pleading with the priests, like, what should we do? We've had this ark for seven months and it has not been good. We've experienced chaos and pain and emptiness. What's going on? This is tragic. They may have been reluctant to give it up, right? Because they probably thought, like, treated the ark as this trophy, right? This trophy of look at us, we defeated the God of Israel. So maybe that's why. It was a pride, right? Look at what we've done. We have this in our possession now. And it can take a long time before we realize the futility of resisting God. That's the same truth for us today. Like, if we have pride in our hearts, what can happen is we can live a life that does give our affection and adoration and our praise to many other gods, right? And we're like, man, I know how to live life. I know what I'm doing. I don't need help. I don't need God. And that's a prideful life. But in the end, we've all lived that life and when we were saved from that, if we have a relationship with God, we know that that kind of life leads to emptiness. There is nothing that can satisfy us except a relationship with God. And so the question is, will we continue to walk in pride and worship other gods? Or will we humble ourselves and realize, I can't keep resisting God. I was designed for a relationship with God. And so I need to surrender and say, God, your ways are higher. You know better than me. And you love me and you want to be in relationship with me. And that is where I find life. So, so that's a way that we're going to see uh, in chapter 7. They're going to humble themselves, right? The Israelites and the Philistines, some of them will, will, will humble themselves too. We're going to see that in the next chapter. So then the priests, they say, hey, 
we know that you guys have messed up, right? We, we have messed up here and we need to offer this guilt offering. And so, and that's, that's their idea, that's their plan here. And so they say, hey, let's, let's make um, offerings and sacrifices and, and shape them into the image of the things that we want to be delivered from. So that's the tumors and the mice. And that was more common in this day. That was a, a ritual that they did. They believed that if they created these images, that then we'll be healed, right, from, from those things that we, we want to be healed from. So when we are desperate and we do not run to God, don't run to Jesus, we will run to other gods. That's what we see with these people here, right? They thought that, man, like they're in desperation. They're crying out, what do we do, priests? What do we do, diviners? And they say, well, let's try this ritual. Let's do this, right? And, 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 and so that's the God of ritual. But for us, we have been in the same boat many times. Like think about your life right now. Those moments when you were desperate, those moments when you were empty and you were at rock bottom, in those moments, there are, we have options. We can either run to Jesus, but if we don't run to Jesus, the truth is we're gonna run to other gods. We're gonna run to things that we think can satisfy us and fulfill us. But we know as Christ followers, only Jesus can satisfy us. So we have to choose him. We have to choose him. Then the priest says something really interesting here. They say, hey, give glory to Israel's God. One of the ways to give glory to God is to acknowledge his judgment. And this is what they did. They acknowledged that God's hand was over their, their, their gods and their lands and the, and, the, and, the, and the people there. So the Philistines admitted that, but similar to the Egyptians, so they said it with their mouth, but their hearts were hardened. And so they say, just like the Egyptians and just like Pharaoh, it's not a good idea to harden our hearts towards God. When we have a hard heart towards God, just like we saw in 1 Samuel chapter three, we will not be in a good position to hear God. When our hearts are hard or when we're distracted, no wonder we can't hear from God. He's speaking to us. He's trying to get our attention, but we need to soften our heart and humble ourselves. So they confess that he was God, but their lifestyles communicated that other gods were more important. Does that sound familiar? Is that us sometimes? Right? And, and I'm not even gonna talk about the United States. I'm gonna talk about Murfreesboro, Tennessee. This is us. We can fall into this trap. We can say, I am a Christ follower and I worship Jesus when we're here on Sunday mornings, but what does your lifestyle communicate the rest of the week? This should not be the only time we think about God. And so when we leave here, we can say all day long, I'm a Christ follower. We can have the bumper sticker and the tattoos and the t-shirt, whatever that says, I'm a, I love Jesus, but the fruit will show. The world will see who you really worship. Something right now that I think is a God in the South is football, right? Football's back and man, I'm, people are excited about it. Listen, I can be guilty of that. I love football, right? I love sports too. So I'm not just calling you guys out. This is a reminder for myself. Sometimes I can idolize sports and it become priority over God. The issue is not football. The issue is not sports or hobbies. The issue is we prioritize that over God sometimes. Nothing can come before God. So then they say, all right, let's do a test, right? The priests have this brilliant idea. Let's do a test to determine if God is in charge. Like just read that statement, a test to determine if God is in charge. Isn't that really stupid, right? It's like, of course God is in charge, but let's test him. Okay, so here's the test. Let's use two cows and they're gonna carry the ark back to Israel. 
Now, the cows, they have these calves, right? And they're like, okay, we're, let's pin them up. And these cows, they also um, weren't accustomed to pulling the carts. And so if their calves, if their babies are pinned up, what the cows would normally do, what they should do, is go and take care of their babies. That's the maternal instinct of these cows. They should go and take care of the baby so they wouldn't go towards Israel. But the results are shocking here. And so they, they witnessed this. The cows who had never pulled a cart, what they do is they head straight for the, for the road and they didn't turn to the right or to the left. They head straight to where actually God wanted them to go. So the Israelites in chapters four and five, what we saw with them is they resisted God, right? They, they manipulated God. They say, all right, let's take the ark into battle. Right? And that didn't work. They, they experienced defeat. Then the Philistines here for seven months, they've been resisting God, treating this ark as a trophy. So because the people resisted God, he decides, you know what? That's fine. I'm going to use two cows to make my name known. I don't need you. And that's a reminder for us. Like God doesn't need us. Did you know that? God does not need us, but he's so good and so kind that he wants to be in relationship with us. His, God is in control, he is sovereign, and his plans will continue with or without us. Like the name of Jesus is gonna be made known with or without us, but we have this awesome invitation to be part of making his name known. Let's go to the next part, verse uh, 13 here. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they were overjoyed to see it. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and they stopped there near a large rock. The people of the city, they chopped up the cart and they offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites removed the ark of the Lord along with the box containing the gold objects, and they placed them on the large rock. That day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. When the five Philistine rulers observed this, they returned to Ekron that same day. As a guilt offering to the Lord, the Philistines had sent back one gold tumor for each city. Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The number of gold mice also corresponded to the number of Philistine cities of the five rulers, the fortified cities, and the outlying villages. The large rock on which the ark of the Lord was placed is still in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh today. God struck down the people of Beth Shemesh because they looked inside the ark of the Lord. He struck down 70 persons and the people mourned because the Lord struck them with a great slaughter. The people of Beth Shemesh asked, who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom should the ark go from here? They sent messengers to the residents of Kiriath-Jerim saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and get it. And so remember in chapters four and five, what we saw is the Israelites felt that God had exited. Remember Ichabod, right? So they felt that God had abandoned them. And of course, if they felt like God has abandoned them, they're gonna feel discouraged. They're gonna feel hopeless. That's the same truth for us. And when we feel like God has abandoned us, we too can become discouraged and hopeless. So now what they see is that the ark is coming back to them and they felt that they received God back. And they were, this is what Samuel says, they were overjoyed to see it. 
Church, depending on our feelings alone can leave us hopeless. Like if it's just our feelings, like we know the feelings can deceive us. Feelings aren't necessarily bad though. So like if we are aligned with scripture, if we are keeping in step with the spirit, if we're listening to the spirit, then feelings are, are, are fine, right? They're, they're good to go by, but a lot of us just live life based on our feelings alone. And we don't check with God. We don't check the scriptures. That kind of life can leave us hopeless. And here's why. We don't always feel like praying. I don't always feel like reading the Bible. I don't always feel like loving people and serving God, right? And so, so if I live a life based off of only when I feel like it, that's a terrible relationship with God. But if we live a life of daily obedience, this kind of life will lead to joy regardless of the circumstances. It's a life that says, I'm going to choose to read the scriptures. I'm going to choose to spend time with God. I'm going to choose to love people even when the world around me is falling apart. That's the kind of life that we should live. And guess what? When we start to do that, it is out of serving, out of giving our lives away, out of considering others as more important that the feelings do catch up, that you do feel close to God. We feel connected to God. The five Philistine rulers here, they realized God's hand, right? Over the last seven months, they acknowledged that, but then they also probably were amazed at this miracle, the two cows go on towards Israel. And so their, their reaction wasn't recorded here, but they must have been persuaded. And here's why I say this, because they went back to Ekron and they shared what had happened. So can you imagine like, okay, we, we see that God's hand was over this over the last seven months and now we see this miracle. We're gonna go back and share. They were persuaded that God is powerful. They're persuaded that God is in control. And Pastor Corey says that one of the most important phrases that we see in the Bible is, for I am persuaded. For I am persuaded will alter how we live. Paul says this in Romans 8, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life can separate me from the love of God. And did you see what kind of life Paul lived? A life that says neither death nor life is gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna uh, separate him from God's love. He knew that God loved him and God was for him. And so he lived a life that reflected that. What are we persuaded by? I think one of the common things that we can be easily persuaded by is this lie that if we just had this amount of money that we can be content and fully satisfied. If that is what we are persuaded by, then that becomes an idol and we'll wake up by any means necessary to obtain money. And guess what? When you have all the money in the world, we know some, some, some wealthy people that have all the money in the world if they don't have a relationship with God, it's still empty. But if we are persuaded with the truth that God is for me, that God loves me, that he will not leave me or forsake me, regardless of what I go through, that kind of life is joyful. That kind of life says, in the midst of suffering, I know that God is with me. He's in the fire. So then in verse 19, we see God's judgment, okay? So these, these men, they, they sinned because they, they touched the ark, they looked into it, and then God did this thing. God uh, gave them great judgment, right? There was a great slaughter. That's what the text says. And God dealt with the Israelites more strictly than the Philistines. Why is that? Because the Israelites should have known better. The Israelites had his law, and they should have known better. Church, we will be held accountable for the lives that we live based on what we know. 
And that means like in middle Tennessee, where we're at right now, we're in the Bible Belt. There's a lot of churches, correct? Churches everywhere, Christians everywhere, right? We hear about God all the time. We have access to his word. We have access to his word on our phones too. But the issue is we like to look up other things instead of going into God's word. And, and, and when at the end of our life, like with the time that we have all been given, we're gonna be held accountable for what we know. We can't blame the church didn't do blank or the church hurt me, right? We can't blame this pastor said this or my parents did this. There is zero excuses for us to live a life that doesn't honor him, that doesn't worship him. They ask this great question at the end of this part. Who is able to stand in the presence of this holy God? And the answer is no one. No one can on our own standing. No one can by ourselves. We cannot stand in the presence of this holy God. We need help. And Jesus is the one that steps in the gap. He helps us, right? So holiness is not achieved through our own efforts, through our own doing, our own good, right? There's nothing good inside of us except the Holy Spirit. If we are believers, if we have a relationship with God, we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. But it is received as we are made new in Christ. It is based on who Christ is and what Christ has done. So though God is holy and he is set apart, praise God for that, he invites us to be in a relationship with him. He doesn't remain distant. He sends Jesus to live a life on this earth to spend time with sinners and broken people, to make a way to die for us so that we can have a relationship with him. Jesus makes this possible for us, but part of that process involves repentance. And that's what chapter seven is about. Let's go to chapter seven. So the people of Kiriath-Jerim came for the ark of the Lord and they took it to Abinadab's house on the hill. They consecrated his son, Eleazar, to take care of it. Time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kiriath-Jerim. Then the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. Samuel told them, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths that are among you. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship only him. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the Ashtoreths and only worshiped the Lord. Samuel said, gather all of Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and they poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day and there, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up toward Israel. When the Israelites heard about it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. The Israelites said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us so that he will save us from the Philistines. Then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel and the Lord answered him. Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines approached to fight against Israel. The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and they threw him into such confusion that they were defeated by Israel. 
Then the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to a place below Bethkar. Afterwards, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, explaining, the Lord has helped us to this point. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. The cities from Ekron to Gath, which they had taken from Israel, were restored. And Israel even rescued their surrounding territories from Philistine control. There was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel throughout his life. Every year he would go on a circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and would judge Israel at all these locations. Then he would return to Ramah because his home was there. He judged Israel there and he built an altar to the Lord there. And so, so Israelites here, they, they received the ark back, but things were not really set right. That's what we see here. And, and they had for 20 years, things were not really set right because they said they longed for the Lord. So they found that they were not more right with God just because they had the ark again. They, they were still empty. Their hearts still were hardened probably. Something needed to happen. They needed to take action. And what that looks like for us today is, are we just religious people who are empty inside? Like, think about this. It's a, it's a cultural Christianity thing. We can fall into this trap if we think that coming to church will save us. If we think that it's just about attending church weekly and checking off the box. I said it earlier, but if this is the only time we think about God and we worship God, then we, I don't know if we have a relationship with him. It should be throughout our entire lives that we honor and worship God. A relationship with God is drastically different than a religious lifestyle. A relationship with God says that my ways aren't working, that I need to humble myself and surrender, that God has saved me and I begin this relationship and then I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me and it's, it's this desire because I've experienced the love of God that I want to spend time with him, that I want to continue to learn more about my creator that is out of that love that compels me to go and serve others, to give my life away, to make his name known a relationship with God says God is good regardless of what the circumstances are. That's what it looks like. But a religious lifestyle is if we just come to church and we check off the box when the world's falling apart, we're not gonna know how to respond. So then Samuel begins preaching, all right? And so in, in, in chapters four, the first part of it, we hear about Samuel. The rest of chapter four and the rest of chapter five and all of chapter six, where the heck is Samuel? Right, things are falling apart. What, Samuel, where are you at? And so some commentaries say that he was probably preaching to those that would listen. He was probably preaching about repentance and trying to point people to God, but a lot of people were distracted. They were enamored with what was going on in the culture. And that sounds like us. We can fall into that trap so distracted that we miss the message of a relationship with God is important. The message of repentance. So if you've been in church before, then you have heard the word repentance. And maybe you're familiar with that. And so Samuel here, he teaches about it, right? And so he sees this great opportunity. It says they longed for the Lord. And he knew that they were ready to take the step to make their heart right, right with God. Repentance is both a turning away from one's sins, okay? The sins that have caused the separation. 
whatever that looks like in your life. And then it's a turning to God who can forgive and restore. So there's two parts, all right? Let's talk about the first part. We have to turn away from our sins that have caused the separation. What are those things in your life that have caused separation from this holy God? In your life right now, maybe you're living in it. Maybe there's sin involved right now. Maybe in the past, in your life, you've experienced some of those sins that have, that have caused a separation. And maybe some of you are in here, you're like, Savut, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never sinned before. Well, you're a liar, right? So, because the truth is, all of us have sinned. That's what Paul writes about. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we need saving, right? And so the sins here, we have to turn away from that first step. Second step is we have to make sure that we turn to God. We gotta turn to Jesus because if we don't, we're gonna turn to other gods. We're gonna find something and and say, man, where can I find life? Where can I find satisfaction? Where can I find temporary pleasure? We have to run to Jesus. And it's great when we run to him, he can forgive us. He's going to forgive us. And then he also can restore us. He can make us whole. He's that good. So does our repentance involve both turning away and a turning to? And then there's this inward and outward thing that we see here. So the repentance has to be inward with all of their hearts and outward, get rid of the gods. In the first five years of my life, man, the inward was happening, right? I would feel this conviction. I would feel this and like, man, this is rough. Like the things that I'm going through is terrible. And the sin that I'm living in is not leading to, to joy, it's leading to, to, to destruction. And the reason why is there was no outward change. And, and this, is, this is me and this may be some of us in this culture today. People are sorry about the effects of sin, but they still wanna hold on to the sin itself. So in my life, I was sorry about what the, the things that I was looking at It started to mess up with my mind and how I saw people. It started to destroy my life and lead to just so much emptiness and darkness. And I felt isolated. I was sorry about the effects of sin. But the truth is in the first five years, I liked the temporary pleasure that it gave me. What are those things in your life that you feel sorry about? You see the consequences of sin even here on earth And you wanna give it up, but then you kinda wanna hold on to it. We gotta let go, we gotta put those things to death. True repentance leads to action. Repentance, here's the actions that we see here. It leads to these following actions. Samuel talks about it in verse three. Get rid of the foreign gods. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship only him. What gods need to be put away and not be picked up again? When I ask that question, the first half is easy. What gods need to be put away? What are some things in your life that are are, are receiving your attention? What are some things that become priority over God? Put those things away. But the second part is hard, not be picked up again. And that's that's the challenging part for our culture. It's like, man, this is bad, but every now and then I do like to go and pick it back up again. It's still something that we are a slave to, right? So we need to put those things away, put those things to death. Do we set our hearts on God or other gods? You can't do both. We learned that in chapters four and five, God cannot occupy the same space with other gods. Do we worship only him? I love the exclusive term there, only. Jesus 
deserves our full attention, our praise and adoration. We can say all day long, no other name is worthy to be praised, but sometimes we live a life that there are other gods that are worthy to be praised. Only him. So then Samuel, he gathers the people and they have this time of corporate worship. It's really awesome. And so they express their repentance. Yes, let's put away these sins. Let's put away these gods. We're ready for a change. But they had to actually live it out, pursue the good. What are the good things we see? The the assembling, the gathering together. This is necessary, right? The gathering together. It's important to live in community, to be with other believers. And then it's the fasting. The fasting that we see in in here um, is is something that that we do as a church in in the beginning of the year. We do a 40-day fast. That should not be the only time that we fast, church. If we take part of that, man, I've seen lives change and people grow deeper and deeper in their relationship with God. God has done miraculous things. And a 40-day fast here at the church We're coming to a time in our lives where we need to start fasting more. Throughout the weeks, when times are good, when times are bad, we just need to continue to fast. And then the confession, the the confession is to say that I have sinned against the Lord, something that we should do in our daily lives and say, man, I've, I've, I've done wrong. These things I've committed is separating me from God, is distracting me. Confess those things to each other, to God. And then the pouring of water. So this is something, this is just a sacrifice. This is a symbol for them that just empties out their, their lives and say, we are desperate for God. We should be in a place daily. Like, you know, uh, I talked to my wife uh, recently and, and she said, man, I want to get to a place, well, both of us, we want to get to the place where we are always desperately dependent on God when life is good, when life is bad. Just desperately dependent on God. So then the Philistines, they heard of the assembly, right? This gathering of worship. And they're like, hey, the Israelites are getting together for worship. Let's go and kill them, okay? So the Philistines tried this and they came and Israelites heard about it. And like, they're scared, right? They're freaking out. You know why? Because chapters four and five, they got their butts kicked. And they're like, let's try a different strategy. All right, let's, let's try a different strategy. And tr- instead of trying to manipulate God and say, let's take the ark into battle, let's pray. So the, the Israelites prayed, it says, Samuel, continue to cry out to the Lord for us. And so he interceded on their behalf. He prayed on their behalf. And God turned their shame of defeat in chapter four into victory here in chapter seven because of God, because of how good he is. If we are humble, church, if we will humble ourselves, the shame of our past can be restored into beauty for him. I know there are so many mistakes that we've made. There are things that we've done in the past We've all made mistakes and, and there's pain and destruction that's happened. But the issue is a lot of us still live in that shame. A lot of us still live with this identity of shame that we are what we've done. But if you begin a relationship with Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the dead is, uh, and, and the new is here, right? The old is dead, the new is here. We have a new identity and we are sons and daughters of the king. God wants to use you despite your past for his good and his glory. The last thing we see here is Samuel wants to remind them that it wasn't them that did this, but God did this. He wanted Israel to remember the past, right? Chapters four and five, hey, what we tried didn't work. It led to destruction, but thankful for God's help to this point. Thankful that God stepped in because he's that good. 
And so he named the stone Ebenezer, meaning a stone of help. I think there's two reasons why Samuel did this. One, probably because these people would then become prideful and think that it is because of all that they've done. And when they get to that point and say, look at what we did, they start to push God away again. We are in that same pattern in this life too. The pattern we see in the Old Testament is people are desperate, right? They do life without God, become desperate, ask for God's help, God steps in, and then they become prideful and say, all right, God, we got this now. But then it's the same cycle going over and over again, and we can be in that same boat. The second reason why is I think we can be forgetful people. Forget about all that God has done. Forget that he is faithful, that he is good, that he is for us, that he loves us. And remembering God's help in the past, it encourages hope for the future. God is a personal God. And so he has done things in your personal life. He has stepped in many times. I know in my life, he has showed up over and over again. And remembering those things, it helps me look forward to life with him forever. That's the hope that we have, is one day we get to be with Jesus forever. And that hope sustains the faith that we need to live this life on this earth. This life can be challenging, and we need Jesus' help. So as we wrap up our time this morning, chapter six, we learn all about God's sovereignty, that God is in control, right? God is in control, and we are not, period. That's it, right? And you're like, yes, praise God for that. That sounds good. Now, that's easy to say, but that's difficult to live out. And you know why? Because there's a lot of control freaks in here. Right, everyone, we want control of everything. You're like, let me get control of this. I want to control my life when things are falling apart. Let me try to just grab control of anything I can. A lot of us like to plan our lives, right? By age 15, I want this. By age 20, I want this. By 25, I want... how has that gone? Planning our lives, it just doesn't work, right? Do we really trust that he is in control? Do we trust that his plans are better than ours? Do we trust that his plans are better than ours? Did you guys know that God is smarter than you? You're like, of course God is, man, he's all knowing, he's all powerful, he's smarter than me. And we can say that, but sometimes we live life like we're smarter than God. It's crazy, I do the same thing, right? Do we trust and believe that he is good? That he is good? If the answer is yes, then we can live with open hands. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, my wife, Allison, uh, she has a 10-year-old sister named Ava. And Ava is a sweet 10-year-old. She loves Jesus. Um, and about a month ago, my in-laws, so Allison's parents, received news that from the doctors, hey, there's some, really he- there's some health concerns with Ava. And we, thought, we, gotta, we wanna talk about different options, how to move forward. Sweet 10-year-old Ava with health problems trying to figure out what's, what's going on. They, you know, my in-law shared the news with us and, and immediately we were sick to our stomach, like, man, what's going on? Like, how are we gonna handle this? So my in-laws, without Ava, go to the doctor. The doctor talk about what's going on and talk about the d- different steps to take. And then my, my mother-in-law, can you imagine a mom who loves her 10-year-old daughter trying to figure out how do I share this news with my 10-year-old? What do I say to her? How do I say it? And so my mother-in-law is sitting on the couch and just shaking and crying and trying to deliver the news. Ava, the doctors are concerned about you. We have to take this step. Your, your dad and I are concerned about you and crying. 
And Ava's response has been one of the most encouraging things for my wife and I, for my in-laws. Ava looks at her mom, pats her mom on the shoulder, and says, Mom, it's gonna be okay. God loves me and God is good. God loves me and God is good. It's a 10-year-old in the midst of receiving news like that is able to continue to worship God. It says, it's gonna be okay because the truth is God has not abandoned her. She knows that. She continues to worship God. And then, this is awesome, right after that, she goes, mom, you can stop crying now. You can stop crying now, it's gonna be okay. Because the thing is, Ava is aware, and we all should be aware that there's some promises that we see in the Bible. One, Jesus promises that we will have suffering, right? We're going to have suffering, but there's a second part to that. Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I'm with you. Take heart, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. I'm not gonna abandon you. I'm with you. We sang that song, there's another in the fire. It is so awesome to see a 10-year-old live that out right now. But imagine, adults, imagine all of us, if we live like that and says, regardless of what is going on, regardless of the storms that come, God is with me, God is good, he is for me, he will not leave me or forsake me. That will change our perspective. God's plan will continue with or without us. He doesn't need us, but he graciously invites us to be with him. He wants a relationship with you. He cares about you. Chapter seven, we saw about, we learned about repentance. So this feeling of conviction of sin, it proves nothing. Right, because it, it, you know, we felt conviction before, right? I felt many convictions and like conviction is good, is necessary, but what do we do when we experience conviction? That's the part where I, where I think we may wrestle with. It's like, man, I heard this or I read this or I spent time with God and he told me this and I need to change and that's a good place to start, but it can't end there. What will we do to take that step to change? We gotta take those steps to say, man, I, I, I gotta walk away from the sins. So committing ourselves to the Lord exclusively means that we have to get rid of other gods. God cannot occupy the same space with other gods. Samuel's message of repentance, this needs to be a daily reminder for us. Get rid of the foreign gods, set your hearts on the Lord and worship only him. That's a message we gotta preach to ourselves daily. It's a message we have to share with the world around us, especially those that proclaim that they follow Jesus. We need to turn away from sin and turn to God, right? So we gotta turn away from sin, turn to God. That turning to God is important. And we say this every week at the church, reading is part of the turning to God. Are we reading, our, are we reading God's word? This is how we hear from him. This is how we learn his character and learn about him. We fall in love with God through reading his word. Are we praying? Are we talking with him? Communicating with him? Every detail of your life, God cares about, and he just wants to hear from you. Are we praying with him? Are we fasting? That should be more of a common thing with us as believers. And then are we, are we in community? Being in community is a really important thing. And community happens not in roles, but in circles. We need to be involved in life group. Like with a church this size, it's easy to get lost. We gotta find some people to live life with us. I've been involved in the life group for a while now and, and 
when, when, I, when I go through hard times, it is those men in the life group that walks life with me, that prays with me, that calls me and checks up on me. You can have that same exact thing, but you gotta take that step to say, I need help, I need community, I don't wanna do this life alone. The last thing we see is this, this idea of this Ebenezer, this stone of help. Do we remember all that God has done? How can we begin to have Ebenezer's in our lives? Maybe for some of us, it's writing, it's journaling, right? Writing down some things. At the end of the day, maybe you start writing down, man, this is where I saw God work. Or maybe it's those prayer requests. You write down prayer requests, but then look at how he's answered them. Write down those things too. Celebrate those prayer requests. My wife and I, we have older couples that live life with us. We're so thankful for them because we don't know what we're doing. We're still learning, right? Before marriage, we had no idea. During marriage, we have no idea. We're like, someone help us, right? <laughs> and so we have these older people and they love us so well. And we ask a lot of questions. How, how do I do this? How do I have a healthy marriage? Communication, help me. How do I honor God with my life, my finance? And we get dinner with them once a month and we just rotate and it's, it's awesome. We have about four couples. What we started doing about a month ago is we, we, sent, we sent an email to them. All those couples in there. And then the email is two things. It's simple. It's praises. Let's celebrate the wins. What has God done? The second part is prayer requests. What do we need prayer for? That's it, a simple email. But I'm telling you, my wife and I sat down for 10 minutes and we just talked about it. What has God done this past summer? This summer has been absolutely wild for us busy, a lot of things going on, um, a lot of family stuff going on. And we sat down for 10 minutes and we, just, we were just so thankful, gratitude, just looking back and say, man, we, had, we, we never took a chance, took a moment to celebrate these things. Look at how good God is. God has done more than enough and he is faithful even when we're not. If God does nothing else for us, he is still good because he's done way more than enough, way more than we ever deserve by sending his son on the cross. God has done more than enough, but he's so kind and gracious and good that he still steps in and lavishes his love on us daily. He's an amazing God. And I love this. He's, he's faithful even when we're not. Even when we're distracted, he is still faithful to pursue us because he loves us. Would you guys bow your heads? Hey, if you're in this room and you have questions about um, the, the Bible, about God, about life in general, or you need prayer, to my right, your left, is Pastor Jonathan. Come, and, come up and talk to him. He'd love to pray with you and pray for you. And then we have men and women on both sides of the stage that would love to pray with you. They're available for prayer. Come up and ask them for help. Don't do this life alone. And then we're gonna have Pastor Mike come up and he's going to lead us in a time of communion together as a church. And so after I pray, I would love for you guys to go grab your communion, come back to your seats, and then we're gonna take it together as a body of believers. Lord, thank you so much. You're so good to us. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. God, I pray that as we leave today, maybe there's some, some uh, idols in our lives that we need to put away. Help us put those things away and turn to you and repent, Lord, and 
We just want to be right with you. We want to fall in love with you. You deserve all of our praise and worship. Lord, protect this community. Help us live a life of worship even as we leave this place. We want to give your name honor and glory. You're so good to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.